welcome to the Middle Age Podcast, a podcast that brings you conversations with people from all walks of life using music to float a course from their early years to how they got to where they are now. Hey, thanks for checking it out. Um, if you're a first-time listener, thank you. Maybe go back and check a few other ones out that you might be interested in. i got a feeling there'll be a few international, international from where I sit anyhow, um, <clears throat> listeners. Uh, so there's a couple of cool international guests. Uh, if you're into Australian hardcore there's a whole, and punk rock, there's a whole bunch of Australian hardcore and punk rock guests as well. So, you know, might, might dig that. Go check that out. Um, today with me, I've got Todd Friend, from H, drummer from H2O. Um, really interesting stuff. I shouldn't give too much of it away, but the way we kind of actually first started speaking was really interesting, um, which we talk about in the end, but it was this really weird twist of, not twist of fate, that's probably not the best way to put it, but like, you know, just this weird little instance that kind of got a conversation started um, almost a year ago to the day of recording, so that's pretty cool. Uh, this was recorded a few months back um, when people, you know, were on heavy duty lockdown all over the, all over the world, and so, yeah, I've just kind of had this one in the bank for a while, and yeah, just thought I'd release it now. Uh, the My Age Podcast is part of the Podbelly Network. Uh, you can go to podbelly.com, check out a whole bunch of really cool podcasts. And if you're interested in doing a podcast, if you've got an idea, you've got a spark for a bit of imagination, but you're not sure how to kind of deliver it, how to get from your brain through your mouth to a computer to everyone else's ears, uh, go to podbelly.com. They can kind of, there's a whole bunch of info on, you know, best practices, uh, ways to get your stuff you know, from your computer. Actually, yeah, again, you know, interfaces to use, microphones to use, all that kind of jazz. And as I mentioned, there's a whole bunch of cool podcasts there as well that you can kind of check out. Uh, as always, we are sponsored by Gringo Bandito, the world's greatest hot sauce. You know, I'm not going to front. You know it. I, you should know it by now. I definitely know it. Um, <clears throat> there's a sale at the moment on, if you're in Australia, If you can, you can go to blastoffimports.com. That's blastoffimports.com. Everything on the website is 25% off, which is, you know, pretty good it's pretty 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 good um and you know if you're in northern america you can get it from gringobandito.com if you're in canada you can get it from i'm sure there's someone somewhere in canada that sells it but you can probably just get it from amazon um by the way uh what else is there nothing really too much I'll, i'll try to keep this as short as i possibly can um got a quick bit of advertising before we go on let me play the jingle and then we'll get right back to the details you gotta wear a mask to save some lives Or even just to avoid a fine For all your face covering needs Don't forget to mask Jeeves You gotta wear a mask so don't delay Or listen to what the conspiracies say For all your face covering needs Don't forget to mask Jeeves Alrighty, Masked Jeeves, fantastic quality mask made by two sisters in Melbourne town. All masks have three layers, two chiffon layers and an outer cotton layer. This makes them lightweight, breathable and soft against the face. 20 bucks each, all three for 50, including postage. And one size fits all. Uh, Asked Jeeves was founded by two friends in Melbourne. At first they were making masks for Giant Steps, which is a special school for kids with autism. Um... And then they basically just had an idea. Look, these are fantastic. There's a bit of a gap in the market, so let's go for it. Um, you can find them on the socials, Mask Jeeves, M-A-S-K-J-E-E-V-E-S. Um, Instagram, Facebook, 20 bucks for one, 350 postage paid. 
Um, and so I guess, that, you know, with that, sit back, um, listen to the podcast. Again, thank you for checking it out. Always appreciated. Uh, My Age Podcast on the socials. If you think this episode's worth a dollar, paypal.me slash myagepodcast. If you don't, it's always going to be free. That's cool. No sweat there. Um, And I'll speak to you at the end of it. Cool. Alrighty, with me on the line all the way from this, well, let's call it the sunny east coast of the United States. Um, East coast, fuck you. We've got Todd Friend, drummer of H2O, just all-round fantastic human. How you doing, mate? <laughs> good, good. good Hanging good. in yep. as, as we all trying to, you know, as we all are trying to right now. Yep. And, you know, for about five weeks, yep. kind of on lockdown for here. Yeah. But we're doing good. Hanging yep. in, hanging in. Hanging in there. Unreal. So, <clears throat> we, you know, we've already spoke a lot before I actually hit record. I can't wait to hear all these stories. Um, tell us about your early years. Tell us about your parents. Tell us about your upbringing. Yep. Tell us about how music kind of played a role, like, yeah, with your parents in the early years, yeah. Yeah, I, I, grew, up, um, I grew up in southern Maryland, um, about two hours south of Washington, D.C. Um, and I grew up pretty much like, you know, quiet, normal down there. I mean, down there, it's, it's pretty quiet. I, I live up in obviously Jersey city, New York city area now, but, uh, but, um, we always had music on when we were kids, um, E tracks. Um, I mean, my mom went from listening to Motown to disco. My dad would listen to the like sixties pop. Um, and then kind of went into like the seventies stuff, which was like, you know, Doobie brothers or, uh, Donna summer, um, Boston, uh, like we always had any kind of music on compilation records all over the place. And I think that's why from compilation records that they would get these KTEL, KTEL was a big U.S. disco label. And they would have like, they had like Casey's, uh, I think Casey and the Sunshine Band, but they had like all disco. And then they had uh, Casablanca would have Kiss. That was another label. Kiss was like, Another band in the seventies. My brother and I would dress up, and play Kiss. Yeah, good. Yep. We have all this makeup on, yep. but you know, but uh, you know, you just look for stuff, stuff to do. We always played band stuff too, and I'd always just kind of gra- gravitate to the drums set or pretend like it was Peter Chris or uh, Carmen Peace from Rod Stewart's band. Um, my name is Todd Stewart. I think I, I'm pretty sure I was named after Rod Stewart. My mom, my mom was crazy 70s <laughs> that's awesome um, just sub out the t and the o for the r yeah yeah that's much. right <laughs> there you are so were you like were your parents musical and like kind of were they always in south of maryland uh, south of dc or like kind of yeah. and what were they doing yeah, my mom was my mom grew up in connecticut um middletown and my dad grew up in like west virginia kind of like in the mountains sort of yeah and they met in college and uh uh they met in college in the early 60s and got married right out of college okay you know people wait a little bit to get married but they got married like pretty much right after college and then um, yeah Yeah. my dad was like it was kind of like i find i found all this stuff out recently actually like they were either going to move to connecticut or wherever my dad could find a job. He found a job in Southern Maryland teaching. Yep. So they both were teachers. Um, 
they both were teachers till my mom had my brother. Yep. My brother's three years older than me. I'm born in 71. He was 68. And, um, and just growing up, like my dad always played guitar, like on Fridays or Saturdays. And I think that's kind of like the first like inkling I got, Oh, my dad's playing guitar. Well, he's a drummer, you know, but back then it was like, okay, well, how do you get a drum set? And then, was it so? I was he playing drum... around the house, or like was he, you know, was yeah. he doing playing cafes or restaurants or bars? No, nothing or... like that. Yep. just around the house. Um, usually it was like a Friday or Saturday. He played like a lot of like '60s pop stuff, like late '50s or early '60s. Ricky Nelson. Yep. Um, what's the other one? Uh, Harry Chaplin. 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 From everybody's talk. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, the movie with. Um, John Voigt and uh, uh, Dustin Hoffman. I can't really think it off the top of my head. Uh, everybody's talking. Yep. Um, Chaplin, always play that kind of stuff. Ricky Nelson. I think he Doobie Brothers eventually, a little bit of that stuff. And then he would just play for fun. And then uh, I think it was Christmas of 79. It was when uh, I found a, a kid drum set in the Sears catalog. Because it was... I don't remember back then being a, a music store where you could buy a drum kit at. Yeah. So I found it in a catalog one year and I was like, Ooh, I want that. <laughs> you know, that's what I want. Anything else I want that. Yep. And then, um, then my mom was like kind of nervous about it. She's like, ah, it's too loud. You know? Yeah. And then the brother of my uncle in Connecticut was like, ah, give the kid something to do, you know? Yeah. So, <laughs> Let him burn off the energy. Yeah. <laughs> so before, like before we get too far ahead, have you got a song that kind of, you know, sums up hanging out with your parents like them listening to music and kind of i guess getting the ball rolling for your musical like interactions for the rest of your life man that's a like a particular song and stuff i can name off about five bands but uh man in the 70s oof um i would probably go with something like like uh because i always heard it on the time all the time but uh it's going to be a weird one. I know. No, go for it. Yeah. But for me, the song, I would say a, the song that sort of changed my, the time that in the song that sort of changed my perspective on things. I'm dating myself here. That's okay. So That's just, okay. <laughs> for some reason, I stayed up really late 79. Okay. To watch, to watch the Grammy awards. Okay. Okay. I don't. I didn't usually do this, but um, I, for some reason, I remember seeing Rod Stewart. Yep, it, it's on YouTube, and I remember seeing them play. Do you think I'm sexy? Right. Okay. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> but I remember watching the drummer Carmen Appice. I just got his book four months ago. Yeah. Before all this crazy. Um, I just got his book. I haven't started yet, but I do got to start it. The drummer's name was Carmen Appice. He played in like Blue Murder and bunch of 70s stuff i mean he's got like crazy resume of stuff yeah his brother Vinny played with black sabbath um when bill ward left wow. Bill ward also had a heart attack in the 90s like a heart condition he couldn't yeah. do some other stuff in the 90s i did meet bill ward at the spectrum in philadelphia um black sabbath's original drummer but yep. Vinny filled in for him a lot but i would say i would say that would be one of one of three 1970 songs. I would. That's I would fucking right. I had the seven inch, and I had the full record, uh, and Morphon, and um, yeah, because everybody was listening to, 
this is probably like 78. Everybody yeah. was listening to disco. Yep. And the fact that Rod Stewart kind of crossed over, he got a lot of shit for it, by the way. And there's another part of this too. But um, the fact that he came from rock roots, but he was playing like danceable music. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay. He's got rock credit, but he's playing other kind of stuff. Rolling Stones did that with Miss You as well. Yeah. And, uh, and Kiss, Kiss kind of did that as well, didn't they? Yeah. They yes. kind of jumped on board uh, that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they too. Sellouts, man. Sellouts. <laughs> but yeah, I would probably say that song because that was the only that was the only song back then that I bought the seven inch and the full the full twelve inch. The original Rod Stewart. <laughs>
Probably about seven at the time. I mean, there were songs before that um, that I that I was into. Um, definitely, like I remember hearing, um, you know, Elton John songs, and my yeah. parents always had Elton John on all the time, and and uh, it was all eight tracks back then. But yeah, but back then, it was like you know, then it was starting to switch over to vinyl, and yep, sort of like in the nineties with cassettes and tapes, how it kind of cassettes switched and over. CDs, but, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I cool. would put that. Top three. I can name two others if you want. Throw, throw them out there just for <laughs> just for interest's sake. Okay. Um, well, definitely. There's a song. Well, you know it, but um, "Bad Company" all right now. I always like that yep. song. Yep. That's pretty. It's good driving music. In Boston, uh, Boston, more than a feeling. Okay. I would say. Yep. Like, because I like the heaviness of the guitars. Yeah. Boston's yep. way great. Foreigners got. Couple songs too. Double Vision. I heard that. Like that song definitely was like like I always like the rock, but I like I like the back then it was all everything was dancey. I mean Yeah. I looking tolerate it now, but back then by like seventy nine I was like, All right guys and then that's where I kinda got into New Way, which that just opened up a whole bunch of Yeah. <laughs> new Way songs. So going back to yeah, sorry, go ahead. So your <laughs> was your older sister a big influence on you musically or like kind of – because a, a recurring thing that kind of happens in these podcasts is yeah. a lot of the time it's either like an older cousin, uncle, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Or you're lucky enough to have an older sibling who was way cooler than you were because they had two or three years' experience on you and kind of knew what was – had their ear closer to the ground, I guess. Yeah, yeah. No, I had – my brother's um, three years older than me and like – a lot of times, me and him would have these small little record players that you could pretty much only hear the sound if you were right in front of it. Okay. <laughs> we would play, like, he would play his records in the corner. I would play my records in the other corner. Oh, that's and cool. And we, yeah. we would swap seven inches all the time. I mean, I very back then it was like seven inches were the thing because, you know, it was like, I mean, I can't remember how much they were, but they were probably, seven inches was like a dollar, maybe, yep. maybe. Like buying an iTunes single now. Yeah, that um, makes sense. Yeah, but he had his records. I had I, I, he had his records. I had my records. But um, but um, yeah, he definitely got me into some stuff. Like I realized it more later that he got me into stuff. But I was definitely more. I dove more into stuff a little bit more than he did. You know. Yeah. But I can name off probably five bands that he he got me into that, that I still listen today. Yeah. Like, right. Tom Petty, um, Tears for Fears. This is later eighties. Yep. Um, uh, Simple Minds. I would say Brian Adams a little bit. Okay. I got Brian Adams. I liked Run to You. I mean Adam from H2O. We we love the song Run to You. Yeah, yeah. I finally I finally got to see Brian Adams a couple years ago. 
Um, but uh, I would say U2 and The Cure he got me into as yeah. well. Yeah, okay. He was, he was about three years ahead of me, so he was kind of like, you know, oh, this is what the kids in high school were listening to. You yeah. Know? So I would kind of, oh, okay. Oh, yeah, this is awesome. <laughs> That's unreal. See, so. Like, yeah. Oh, no, he had the Don't Do Me Like That 7-inch by Tom Petty. I would say 89 or 89, 79 or 80, yep. which I was like, wow, this is awesome. And then I checked all those other stuff out after that. Yeah. So you were, you were into drums at a really early age. Like you knew it was something kind of that you wanted yeah. to at least dabble with. Why, what was it about yeah. the drums as opposed, I mean, was it just because you realized your dad needed someone to play with or like it's, we, it's, it's a little bit of that, but then like hearing like, um, Hearing Alive 2 by Kiss. Okay. Like, that was definitely like, okay, yeah, this is awesome. Like, I wasn't, like, he has a, he has a, Peter Chris had a long drum, drum solo in that. Yep. But, um, but I just sort of gravitated to it after hearing that and playing it over and over. I was never like, I was never like a diehard Kiss fan, like, you know, the Kiss Army yeah, and yeah. shows. I, I've read two Kiss books and I kind of got an idea of, the insanity in that band. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I, can imagine. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, all bands have their own craziness, but that band was like they're on another, another level. level. Yeah. Another level. Yep. Yeah. And I'm not surprised one bit that the classic lineup didn't make it into the eighties, you know. It's, yeah. Too destructive. Oh uh, yeah. Especially two of them, the two that aren't in it. But but um some of it was personal made and some of it was like Peter Chris had a really bad accident and couldn't recover. Okay. You know, so that that's why they got their car in. But uh but definitely Kiss was the first band that I was like, yeah, this is something I, I could definitely want to pursue. You know, this is probably 78, 79. Yep. Um by like eighty one I wasn't even I wasn't even barely I like I felt like I didn't listen to Kiss for like five or ten years after that. Yeah. But you know, but I always like gravitating to listen to what the drummer was doing yep. especially with disco like like by the 80 79 80 i was tired of disco yeah but i always appreciate the hi-hat opening stuff yeah the drummer does yeah yeah yeah, yeah. He, he, lays, he lays a straight beat down but he's opening the hi-hat in weird parts yep and uh, i can always kind of like okay like when i hear like drums now i kind of listen to what the hi-hat's doing with the you know in between the snare and the kick drum hits and stuff that's pretty but, cool yeah yeah so is there a, what's what would you what did you say the kiss song was with the solo i know i know nothing about kiss bar like the super 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 hits like no yeah it, no it's just I, I, like he had a solo kiss alive too i want to say it's in the middle of god of thunder on kiss alive okay, too but i'm yeah. not sure it's been it's been a while but I, yeah. I, my brother i would he would play the A track all the time and we would play Kiss with my neighbors. And of course I knew all the songs in my brother, but the neighbors really didn't, but they just pretended like they did. Is, you know, is God of Thunder the one where um Gene Gene Simmons Spits the Blood. Spits of Blood, yeah, 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 yeah. He does his big theatrical <laughs> thing. Yeah, yeah. Like Oh shit, he's possessed by the devil. You yeah. Know? <laughs> <laughs> so good. <laughs>
So, you, you know, you mentioned you didn't hang around with kids for too long and we're talking early 80s. Like, yeah. was was the punk explosion on your radar or were you a bit too young for it or kind of how does that how does that interplay? So, so by like 79, 80, like, like in the States here, this would kind of run its course a little bit. I mean, there was still, I, I, I can appreciate rock bands that try to play a dance song 100%. Yep. Um, by like 79, I had heard, I was with my dad and in his like Triumph, which is like an English little sports car. Yep. And he would, he would ride around on weekends and we would go do stuff. But I heard, I heard Roxanne by the police. Okay. And that sort of changed my, I was like, okay, this is not, this doesn't sound like anything on the radio. No, not know? at all. Yeah. <clears throat> Once I got to the police, it was all new wave and punk yep. like they they changed my whole like my middle name is Stuart. i wanted to change my name to Stuart friend you know because of Stuart copeland on drums yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, i'm got a big argument about it like yeah change your name to Stuart, you know <laughs> <laughs> um but they they changed my perspective on things the police like hearing the first guitar notes of roxanne and we're talking like 78 79 and then i just went not full on new wave punk, but I was like, okay, this is, this is like a whole nother kind of music, you know? Yeah. And, and, and through that, like, you know, the first three police records, I was all in, you know, yeah. over here, they, over here, they were played a lot. And, and, and they sort of opened up a whole nother genre over here, you yeah. know, of, of new wave and the second British, you know, the second British explosion over here. Because in the early 80s, there was a lot of British bands that were massive. I mean, I could run off a few. But yeah. um, <clears throat> once I got into that, I was into Gary Newman. I had the car, 7-inch by Gary Newman. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the band, the cars, that was another early influence on me too, the cars. Um, like the first four or five, you know, I think they did five classic car records in the first the first two, I always, me and my neighbors would always listen to the cars and yep. he had a money back and I had one on cassette and, uh, this is probably like 79, 80 ish. Yeah. You know? And it just opened up the police, but the police for me opened up a whole new genre of like music. Like, you know, I'd never really heard, I heard, I had heard, uh, Eric Clapton's version of, of I shot the sheriff. Oh yeah, of course. Yep. And I was like, "Oh, okay. This is like a this is like a new 
you know, it had the Marley riff in it. Yep. But it was more poppy. Yeah. I thought Eric Clapton wrote the song until yeah. later. Understandably. You know, yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, Bob Marley. And then I got into Bob Marley from the police yep. through Eric Clapton. And, uh, but once I heard like, oh, okay, this is like a whole new style of music. I had never heard reggae before. I never heard ska. And I kind of just went from that, you know, police and Bob Marley and stuff. Those were huge bands yeah. back then for me. So we, you were, you were obviously drumming at the time. Like Stuart Copeland's like a obvious, like a, you know, he's he's more than just a drummer's drummer. Like he, even not musical people listen to it and go, what the fuck is going on there? Like, um, were you like, were you playing in bands and anything? Like, were you starting to like, or just jamming with dudes and playing covers and that kind of thing? Or no, I I so. Uh, by 81, I was about 10. Uh, there was about three years there. I was just listening to, you know, listening to music. I didn't get in my first band. I was about 14. Uh, and uh, it was kind of, it was an attempt at being a new wave punkish band. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, we didn't know what we were doing. We were just having fun. But, what was it called? That's uh, the important question. What was it called? Okay. <laughs> I might have mentioned this on Toby's podcast. Okay, it was a band, it was a band called Nerd Alert. It's not, you know what? That's not too bad. That's not. I've yeah. heard worse. I've heard worse first band names. That's fine. Like, and the other one was called Gas. Okay, and we played two shows. Uh, both bands played a total of two shows. One was in like a garage. We had a bunch of neighbors over, and another was in this like youth center, and and it was it was. It was fun. I wanted to take it a little more seriously, I think, at the time. A couple guys in, in Gas went on to do some shows and a bunch of stuff down in D.C. and Maryland. But uh, but by that point, I was in high school as a freshman. And um, I was like, okay, what am like, like, I, I just wanted to pursue it. And that's where kind of like where the HO guys, the out, well, outcrowd before HO, but that's kind of where. Uh, that's kind of where my cross paths with um, the HO guys was uh, just music and high school and around the high school. Oh, okay, sharing pictures and photos and stuff. So you, you guys, well, not all of you, but like a core of you went to the same high school and grew up to, yeah. like relatively close. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I met Toby October of eighty five, nineteen eighty five, because I had always had. I still have, but back then I, I had like spiky hair. Yep. But he had like, I don't know how he did it back then. It was probably like wax or something. His hair was even higher than mine. I was jealous. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> I saw him across the hallway. And, you know, my hair is a mess right now. But yep. usually it's like, uh, um, I saw him in high school and it was like, I was like, oh, okay. His hair's higher than mine. He's into punk music. And, then I met his brother. His brother was in a local band where we grew up uh, down there, and they had broken up. And I slipped him a demo tape of Gas that I did one song. And uh, he's like, oh, what are you doing next weekend? And I was like, nothing. You know, and we started playing. This is, I'd say, March of 86. Okay. And uh, that's kind of when I was like started my my path in a, in a way, you know, like of being – taking it a little more serious it took me it took me a little while to kind of grasp like what i was trying to do what the band was trying to do yeah um which was what um, if you don't mind me asking like what was the kind of 
what 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 yeah what did you settle not settle on but kind of what niche did you find and how did you get there with it yeah like um it was kind of like like my first two bands were more or less for fun yep and 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 it always is for fun including now as well. yeah but but like taking it a little more seriously and um we were actually playing a lot more shows like not not in venues necessarily but we would play like at, at, at clothing shops we played on the radio played on the radio down there which was like big for me i was like 14 years old um we would play like at parties we play at parties like every two shows a weekend probably sometimes back then one time we played two shows in one day it's just like starting a routine with it and uh with my bands before it was like well we had a show in october we had a show in january you know but we were you know more or less doing it for fun but trying to f- find our way too and uh but um it was definitely like that was where i was like okay and then uh you know i just started just trying to get better you know that was that was another thing too i mean i was so young two guys in the band were learning their instruments as well as me it's all at the same time you know so it was like you know i was only 14 going on to 15 and uh you know it was like new you know i was just that was that was summer of 86 was when i was like okay you know this is something i want to dab into a little more and, yeah cool you know more seriously and what was that group called um we were called the hodads okay <laughs> okay right <laughs> this, is, this is pre it's myself and tom morris yep from a group and uh a guy named gene booth in maryland and a guy named keith manuel uh he plays in, he plays in marching bands actually keith man i ran into him on our tour and uh with battery in uh september in dc but um yeah we keep in touch yeah, like cool. it was like a learning process for all of us and uh and then from that summer summer of 86 um the fall of 86 we kind of like became a three-piece and uh and we changed our name to our crowd and we we were for we were together for nine years before h2o yeah wow we put three, yeah we put three records out um toured up and down the East Coast in the United States, we did like a Midwest tour. We did, um, we did South by Southwest. I know really? you've heard of that probably. We did a 1990, 1991 version of South by Southwest. It was nothing. Yeah, like not not what it is now. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, no Toronto's nothing. It was just all right. The show's here. You know, it was nothing. Yeah, it was nothing fancy like it is now. So but, uh, what, what we, did that kind of what did that band sound like? Like what were you go, going for? <clears throat> so early on, I would guess we were more like skate rock, skate punk. Okay. Like like uh, we put our first record out in 1988 on vinyl, which was like huge for me. Yeah. Like, uh, we put it out on we put it out basically ourselves, but then it got distributed through Sandwich Records, which is uh, Amanda McKay and McKay's sister. Yep. From uh, Discord. So we had a little bit of like push around the East Coast with that, and uh, we played with just about every DC hardcore band around that time. I mean, we did a bunch of shows with like Fugazi, Scream, Government Issue. Uh, we never played with Dagnasty. We played with Field Day recently, but we never played with Dagnasty. But uh, Kingface, Ray Matter, like any of the early, any of the early Discord bands, we 
probably played multiple shows with. Yeah. Like, and good and good shows too. Like like, you know, good crowds, good good everybody was action, you know, a lot of crowd action. Yeah. And um early on we were more like sounded more skate punk and then we kinda like started to play more rockish punk. Yep. And um and by nineteen ninety four ish we were kind of we put two rec after we moved to New York City, all of us uh, from Maryland. We moved in 1990 for about five years. Um, we were playing around New York City. We got on Blackout Records, which was the first H2O was out on Blackout. Yep. And um, and uh, we did two records with Blackout. There were more. It was more like alternative punkish rock sort of. Yeah. Like a mix of a bunch of genres and uh, and that kind of leads. 94, 95 ish, that kind of leads into H2O when we got started going, when they started going, Tom and I kind of merged in. Did you, <clears throat> pardon me, like, before, like to backtrack a little bit, you said yep. the, before we hit record, you said you saw the first Fugazi show. Yep. Like, obviously, you were, were you, like, were you guys just going to everything and anything possible? And were the shows more mm-hmm. towards where you were or? Did you have to travel up to DC to see them? We had to travel. Yeah. There was not. I mean, there was one summer. I think it was '88, where uh, a friend of ours who we grew up with, she tried doing shows down there. Yeah. And but ninety nine percent of the time, we'd have to go to Baltimore or DC. Yep. Because we were we were we were so far removed from everything. I mean, it's about two an hour and a half two hours south of washington is i mean at night when you're driving there's not a lot of lights yeah <laughs> it's in the middle of nowhere you know yeah but yeah we didn't have to travel we were we were stoked like i mean we all love Meyer threat and brace the egg hunt had come out the egg hunt seven inch and um we just pile up in a car like toby my friend Sean, who I spoke about earlier. Yep. Um, I think I think Rusty or one of them, either Rusty or Todd was this. I can't remember exactly. It might have been Rusty. Our friend Josh and his dad took us to the show, and this is like September of '87. Yep. And it was Soul Side. another great Discord band. Uh, Soul Side and Fugazi played at the Wilson Center. And it was Fugazi's first show. I think they might have even been a three piece at the time. Okay. Fugazi. I don't remember guy being in the band at that point. Yep. Maybe he maybe he sang one or two songs, but he wasn't an official yeah. member just yet. Eventually he would, but um but yeah, it was incredible. It was like like I remember then the their first song with seven songs came out about six months after that and the way they went, you know, they yeah. were Yeah, yeah, up they go. Yeah. What what was, what was your huh? what was your first like punk or hardcore show? Like as in yeah, like not smallish, but like, you know, underground punk or hardcore show. Yeah. So, um, my, my first show that I went to was, uh, government issue, a band called government, government issue, big DC punk band yep. and uh, a band called market baby. They played at the Marvel bar in Baltimore. And, uh, we ended up playing there too. My band Alcor, we played the dead Moken there. And, uh, and Russie's band images from H2O. Yep. Um, but we, that was probably my first show that I wasn't playing. Like I just went to as a fan and yeah. was kind of bugged out. Um, I did play a show with Scream, which was my first 
big show that I saw a band playing with and I was opening with was Scream. Yeah. Fall six, uh, pre Dave Grohl, pre Dave yep. Grohl. Yep. And with Kent Stacks on drums. And that was incredible too. But my first show that I went to see was six months later, uh, March of 80, March of 87. I think was, I had the flyer somewhere on my phone. It was March of 80, 87. Yeah. Right. Fucking wild. 15. <laughs> <clears throat> so cool. Let's actually one more question. What were your yeah. parents like with, you know, you being 15 years old and traveling an hour and a half to go see these yeah. raucous bands? Like, well, how did they kind of, like, you know, you said your dad listened to a lot of pop, your mum listens to a lot of Motown. Yeah. Were they really yeah. kind of conservative slash not into what you were doing? Or were they more like, you know, you'll find yeah. your own way. And you said your uncle was kind of there to help, to help kind yeah. of, you know, get you on the drums. And so he was probably like, a character yeah. on their shoulder kind of whispering in their ear like Todd's going to yeah, be fine yeah. just let him do his thing like how did they kind of react still, to all that he still is <laughs> yeah good fantastic <laughs> um yeah like we had a deal um my mom and I we made a deal like so uh my dad was a little more reserved but he was very busy at the time working yep so I wouldn't see him quite as much back then but I mean I would see him but at dinner you know, and yeah. a little bit in the evening, but he was working full time and uh, doing different projects and stuff. But we had a deal. I made a deal with my mom where um, if I was going to see a show, I knew it was going to be harder to get her to say yes. Yeah. If I was playing a show, it was a little bit easier because I was technically working for yeah. the future. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So, um, if I was going to hang and going to see a show, I had to go to school the next day. Like it was like without file, hundred percent. No matter what time I got back, I had to go to school. Because you would have been day, getting back late, yeah. Like it wasn't, yeah. Because yeah. we're talking two hours after the show, and shows usually end about eleven o'clock. So yeah, sometimes I would get one in the morning. I have to be up at seven, you know. But I had to go. I had to keep my grades ish pretty yeah. good. I, yeah. I, I was, keep I them off the radar. Good. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was like a C-ish student. Like I was never, I was never like an A plus at everything, you know, yeah. but I had to keep it pretty good. But um, if I was playing a show, it was a little bit different. She's like, okay, you're working. Yep. During the middle of the week, it was a little like, we always played every Thursday through Sunday. Yeah. Um, pretty much like, like just about every weekend. But, um, but if it was in the middle of the week, same, I had to go to school the next day. Yep. Um, that's we would try to leave. That's a tough one. We would one. try to leave. Yeah, we would sometimes we would try to leave right after we were done. Load yeah, it out, load like, out and there. hit the road. Like, yeah, like Richmond, Virginia was a little bit further of Philadelphia. Um, it's about two and a half hours from where we grew up, so it was like a longer drive. But DC and Baltimore was a little bit closer. But, um, but yeah, that that kind of like and two guys in my band were actually my legal guardians, which is kind of funny. Cause yeah, because you're well underage. Well underage. They're yeah. like they were like eighteen. Toby's brother is about four years older than me. Yes. And my other band was about four years older. So they were technically my legal guardians because I'm in a bar. Yep. Yep. You know, and back then the drinking age was eighteen. Back then, you know, right. now it's twenty one. Okay. Over here. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So like, you know, I always had to go to school the next day. It was like, okay, cool. You know, I, even I'd be dragging, you know, but I would have to do it. You know, it was part of the deal. Um. But uh, yeah, my mom was a little bit like, "All right, let's figure this out." You know, yeah, yep. 
All right, you're going to go to school. I don't care, you know. Um, but I had to keep my grades in the C zone, you know, try not to let them dip below that. The, for Ds. Yeah. And, you know, in the zone of a C. <laughs> no, that's fantastic. All right, so what's a throw a song at me that kind of sums up the 13 to, you know, kind of 16, 17, 18 years of uh, Todd Friend? I would say I don't want to grow up by descendants. Ah, powerful. Powerful. <laughs> <laughs> to full disclosure, because people aren't obviously watching this, you're wearing a descendant shirt. We've already talked at length about descendant shirts previously. That um, we both have the same shirt. I've got the reissue, but you've got the original, which is the was it eighty seven or eighty nine tour shirt? Uh, eighty seven. Eighty seven. Yeah, yeah, the eighty seven tour shirt. Which, like as I mentioned before, we hit record. Like I saw you guys in two thousand twelve in Hollywood. And uh, Toby's wife commented, I went to buy H2O merch and Toby's wife commented on, she she had the same shirt, but she had the original that she brought from the show on the tour. Mm-hmm. So, you know, yeah. people who know, know. Like, I like it, yeah. Mm-hmm. It was weird too, that show actually, Descendants at West Radio Hall, which is now the new 930 Club in DC. Okay. I remember being, I remember being in a pit and I remember being fights and I was like, during Descendants? Yeah. What? Like, really? <laughs> it makes no sense. Was it... Were, were shows like back then, for, like in that area, were fights spontaneous or was it outside beef that kind of got brought into the shows? I don't know. I remember like there was a there was a whole there's a whole underbelly of DC back then that I kind of knew a little bit about, okay. with like some skins and stuff. Um, but I do remember seeing some fights at shows, and and um, you know it was like. There was always there was always one at every punk show back then, but um, yeah, it was it, it probably was just pit beef, you yeah. know. From what I know, you know, I don't know exactly. I have some friends that live down there. We uh, the guys from Battery we toured we toured with last July. Yeah, and split a bus with those guys, and they kind of went into some stuff because they they actually live further into DC than we did. We yeah. live two hours outside, but they were they kind of were explaining. You know who's who and this this crew. You know it wasn't the politics like, of it all. Yeah, yeah. Back then, the stuff back then. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, there was always one fight at every show back then, including. I mean, we got 
not that many anymore, but in the nineties we were getting a lot of points at our shows too, yeah. HO shows. So how did our crowd morph into H2O? Like how did those two worlds collide? Like what was H2O yeah. do like was H2O a thing before you and um Toby uh, you and Todd joined the band or like Yeah. So we all lived in the same house. Um, okay. all all of us. Like and uh it's actually about 10 minute walk from where I live now, but um, there was about eight of us living at the house at the time. And uh, so we had kind of, Alcrowd had kind of, I think had kind of, we were kind of burnt on some things and some things. We had a couple tours that didn't follow through. Um, and we, we were kind of hoping they would go through. We, we had a re- our, our third record out was out at the time. And uh, this is probably about, fall of 94 late fall 94 uh toby and rusty started doing some h2o music and uh and we all lived together so i would hear it i'd be in another room i'd hear rusty playing riffs and you know toby coming up with lyric vocal ideas and and uh meanwhile i was still doing our stuff with, with outcrow yep and um i had a drum kit in the basement i just started jamming on like and they came down, or I can't remember exactly, but they wanted to do the Marginal Man Friend cover that we eventually did on Thicker Than Water. Yep. And I knew the song you know, backwards and forwards. We all grew up on Marginal Man, another great Discord, DC hardcore band. And um, so I ended up playing the song with them, the Friend song. And, and this is probably like late, late 94-ish. And, um, and so the first, the first uh, lineup of, of H2O, they played, uh, well, we, they played with Murphy's Law uh, December 30th, 1994. And it was with uh, Rusty and Toby, Eric Rice on bass, Max Capshaw on drums, and uh, another friend of ours, uh, Matty Boy, um, was on second guitar. Yep. And I would say for about five, six months, um, they did shows in New York City, up and down, you know, Philadelphia, <clears throat> uh, yep. anywhere on the city. And we were, meanwhile, I was still doing, we were doing our Alcott stuff and shows in the East Coast as well. And, and, uh, they went to Europe. Well, sick of it all. Um, we, meanwhile, with Alcott, we were starting to get a little bit like frayed on some things. And, yeah. And, and, uh, and we had been together nine years at this point. And, um, so then, uh, sick of it all went to Europe with Civ and H2O. This yeah. is before Todd and I. Yep. And um, and I think it was like six or eight weeks. We we all were living together, but they were gone the whole summer. And at the very end of the tour, Toby goes to Todd and I like learn all these songs. Like, um, like, like we're like, oh, okay. You're like, you know, check these songs out, see what you can do, rehearse them. So when uh, when they were in Europe, like when they got back, we all started rehearsing. Uh, I'd say July of 95. So about six, seven months, seven months-ish after the first show. And then August of 95, away we went. It was like, we did two shows in one day, our first day. So what what was it, what happened with, like, without digging up old graves? Like, what was it about the two guys that you two replaced? Like, were, were they just kind of, well, like, what, yeah, what, why, where did they go? Not where did they go, but like, yeah. Just you know, I think eight weeks with someone new, like living out. Yeah. I don't know how you, you know how you would have toured yeah. back then, but 
that would have been that yeah. cracks would have surfaced really quickly. Like, was that the case? Yeah, or? yeah. I think like well, so Matty Boy was never. I mean, from what I've gathered, yeah. Um, Matty Boy kind of came and left. You know, they weren't. They did the Europe tour as a four piece, so it wasn't. It wasn't like, from what I gather, I think he only did like a couple shows with them in the beginning. Matty Boy and Second Guitar. Yep. So, um, so, so Todd was just like adding back into it. Um, with with Max Capsule, I I kind of gathered like, um, I think it was just a matter of like, like just kind of. Uh, I think they. I think touring after eight weeks, you kind of feel people out. And yeah. Know, yeah. You know, real. This quick. Is, yeah. You know, and I think that's kind of what it was. I, I think they were, they were, um, they didn't. Maybe they didn't know him well, Rusty and Toby, and 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 just kind of things went in a direction that okay, we're going to make you know, and and Alcrow was break. Alcrow broke up around the same exact time yeah. that this was presented to Todd and I. Um, and so it was just like a natural merger. I mean, we all grew up together. Um, you know, we lived together at the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, We've known sense. each other 10, 15 years at that point. I mean, Toby's no Todd his whole life, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, knew they knew Toby and Todd knew Rusty about two years, three years longer than I did. Yep. And um, and um, so it was just kind of like, and Eric was Eric was still with us on bass. Yep. Um, for that first whole year that I was in and Todd was in. And um, that kind of goes into where Adam joined too a year later. But yeah, um, but yeah, it was just, I mean, we, when we started playing shows after they got back from Europe, it was like, um, summer, summer of 95 till 93, I mean, uh, 93, summer 95 to 2003. It was like nonstop, like wow. eight years of, Eight years of crazy. Like yeah. we were doing 100 to two, 150 to 200 shows a year on top of recording, touring nonstop. Like I literally would be home about three months, four months out of the whole year together, all, all together. You know, the yeah. other eight we were on tour. You're just out. Fuck. So, yeah. for, you know, for those who don't know, how does the, how does the epitaph, how does the epitaph thing kind of come into play? Because I guess you were the, from you know, from vague memory, you were the first. Um, was it a, or you were bouncing souls? But like you know, you were the early crop of East Coast bands to sign yeah. to the the West Coast punk rock label. Like, how does that happen? So um, we toured. We toured on the first record for a good. I would say a good year and a half, and when we were like, okay let's figure out what we're going to do our next record. So, um, we had, we had Bill, we had a couple labels that we were talking to and Bill Wilson wanted to, um, know if he wanted to do a second record on blackout. Yep. And then, um, and then MCA who we eventually went with on, on go. Oh, yeah. Um, after the first record, they were interested in us. Our friend Hans, who we eventually, uh, went with with MCA later on. Yep. And uh and Mr. Brett, Brett Gerowitz wanted to wanted to sign us as well. So we were we were playing we were on the Murphy's Law Beer and Water tour about a nine week tour. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> probably, probably our craziest tour hands down ever. Uh we you all got the, the matching seat. have you did you all get matching tattoos for that tour? 
Yes. Yeah. Uh, four of us. Have. Okay. I, right. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't have that tattoo. I'm the only one who doesn't. Okay. But I did. Get, I did get my first tattoo last summer. Right here. That's your first. Yeah, there, H2O. There you go. So the, the lip tattoo of H2O. Fuck yeah. yeah. My first tattoo. I was, it was on my 40th birthday in Poland last summer. Um, but, Sorry, um, let's, let's, like, let's put a pin on the conversation. Yeah. You're, playing, you're playing in a hardcore punk band in New York City in the mid-90s where yeah. everybody's tattooed. Yeah. Like, how did you not... So, like, when I first started playing in bands and stuff... And get like playing in hardcore bands, all the guys I played with were tattooed, but I wasn't. Like, I was kind of similar to you. Like, I was just like, I'm just a dude, whatever. Like, how do you not get kind of swept up in that when it's so easy and, like, you know, you're on tour and someone's got the gun out and let's go kind of thing? Like, how does that not, how do you, how did you not get swept up in that? I used to have to get, um, when I was real little, like, I I had really bad allergies when I was a kid. Yep. And so I would have to get a needle in my arm every week, once a week. I was allergic to everything from like milk, um, anything dairy, which I kind of don't eat dairy anymore. I'm not a, I'm not a hundred percent vegan, but I'm probably about 98% vegan now. But uh, back then there was no, you know, almond milk, soy milk, that kind of stuff like it is. And so um, I used to have to get shots once a week in my arm and, um, my arm would swell up a little bit too, but so as a, I, as a reaction I, to the medication. Yeah. And, and, and I was allergic to pets too, which sucked because I love I, my cat and my dogs growing up too. Um, but uh, I, I guess I had a fear of needles for a while. I still do. Yeah. Um, and um, I don't know, I guess it was like, I guess I probably goes into it. And when I got this, like I had to be, kind of held down my atom a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, this. I can imagine like that, that wouldn't tickle. Like there's, there's a lot of spots that wouldn't tickle and that'd be up there. And I was, I was kind of like our tour manager, Raf from Brazil, Rafael Madeira. Uh, he had said, yeah, man, when I got my lip tattoo, blood went all over the place. It was like, and I had this fear in my head, like, Oh my God, what am I doing? You know? Um, but, um, it wasn't that bad. It, it hurt. It definitely was like, ah, you know, yeah. not like, not like stop, you know, but it was definitely like sore for about three or four days. It was like a, if I ate like five orange juices or five oranges, yep. it, it was like that. Like it was like my whole out, my whole bottom mouth was like, you know, acid uh, yeah. thing. You get when you eat too much grapefruit or oranges. Yep. But uh, <laughs> that was probably the thing I probably had something to do with it. I, I hate, I still hate needles now. Like when I see them, I get sort of like, yeah, you know, squirmish. Snake, snakes are the same way for me, but yeah. Okay, so back to back to Epitaph and H two O. You've got yeah. you've got MCA. You've got Black. Was it? What was the first label Black, called? MCA Blackout. Blackout. Blackout thank you. Yeah, yep. Yeah. We put our first record out in the two outcrowds on. Um, they all they all were at our show at the Roxy with Murphy's Law. And uh, it was like all three of them was at the same time. We're like, oh shit, you know. But um, but we kind of, I think, I think we kind of just wanted to try something different. And, and Mr. Brett, Mr. Brett, we weren't, we didn't want to go on a major then yet at the time. Um, we were a little nervous about. It. I mean, we wanted Hans was our friend, and he really liked he really liked Outcrowd too. He wanted to 
work with Alcrow back when he was with NCA too. Yeah. Uh, but uh, so they just all wear the same show. We play our show, and and um, you know, it, it was kind of weird with us for a little bit with Bill when we decided to go with Epitaph and Mr. Brett. But we're cool now. Like, yeah. It took like a year or six months to a year or two, but um, but it was just something that we wanted to try. Epitaph was doing really well, pushing bands at the time. Yeah. You know, little spring, Pennywise, no effects. Yep. Um, yeah, they had name a couple. Rancid. They, yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah, Rancid. Uh, Down by Law. They had, uh, um, and so, yeah, it, it, and it's kind of like now, thinking back on it, it was like, you know, the internet wasn't as big back then, but, but, um, but it was like, you know, I didn't know at the same time, Bouncing Souls were going to sign to Epitaph too, yeah. which is great. Which is cool. But now you would know about, about everything about everything. You know, yeah. back then it was different. But, um, but, uh, but we got a little shit for it. You know, like every, you know, back then it was like, oh, they're selling out. They're going to Epitaph. But it, yeah, we got we got from day one. And, you know, from from you know the haters or whatever. You know the the typewriter warriors yeah you know? the people warriors yeah they're always going to be there no matter what you do yeah exactly exactly so the the artwork on um the the photo on thicker than water with you yep. guys with the water pistols outside CBGB's yep. is probably one of my favorite band photos ever like it's <laughs> fucking classic like i like i remember getting that cd and going like i remember seeing the the front artwork going oh this is really cool and then seeing the back of it and going yeah. Like, you, I couldn't, I couldn't imagine something any cooler than this. Like, it was a perfect storm of, it was vibrant, but it was tough, but it was funny, and it was just like this whole. And I think that's kind of what sold me on H two O, initially yeah. when that album came out was like, oh, this is like, this is kind of like a bit yeah. of everything, the greatness of all. Like it's it's all the good bits of all the good bits kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, B J Poppet took that photo. Um, legend you know old school new york photographer she's been shooting bands since the 80s in new york city yep. and uh we did a re we did a re a reversion of that oh did you um we did a reshoot of that about a year ago we played in um outside of los angeles uh the skate park and we kind of did a i'll shoot you that too i got yeah, please do i got some homework, I got some homework afterwards on this Sick. i'm so <laughs> looking forward to it I got the Australia set list. I got the photo redo that we did yep. last year. And something else we spoke about. I can't remember. But I know I got to send you a couple, yeah. send you a couple things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, we did that uh, right around CBGB's, right in front of CBGB's, um, summer of 97. Yep. Uh, I actually had an abscess tooth in that picture. Jesus. And, um, <laughs> I don't know, five Advils and just I had to get a root canal done the next day or Fuck. a day or two later. But yeah. That's probably why I'm just, yeah. Like trying to pull the yep. <laughs> I think I had to in my mouth in the photo shoot too. But Jesus. uh but um but yeah that was that was that was uh summer ninety seven. We went straight from the studio again to the warp tour, right to the warp tour. Yep. It was like all right, the record's done, let's go. We we went for a year and a half on uh on the thick of the water tour. Yeah. Started in <clears throat> later summer and we went till the end of all the way to the end of uh I guess fall of 98 too. Like so did, a, did, did the, did, did the epitaph thing kind of 
it, the epitaph thing would have opened doors to like obviously other like bigger opportunities but obviously completely different crowds as well you weren't you know you you whilst you would have been playing hardcore shows at cbgb's and all those spots around there you would have also been playing yeah like as you said the warp tour and doing yeah. bigger shows with poppier punk bands and that kind of thing like it, obviously and people were obviously really receptive to that or like yeah, was, it a, I think was so. a hard slog to kind of win people over um I guess back then it was like, I mean, there were always like, you know, the people that were looking give you like a little look like, Oh, you're touring with this band. But yeah, we, we did we tour with pretty much anybody that around that time. Like um, we toured with the misfits. We toured with sick of it all on the thick of the water show, tour. We mm. toured with, we actually did a, two tours with the misfits. Who was in the misfits um, at the time? Uh, Dr. Chud and Michael Graves okay. were right. singing. Really good. They did yeah. two, Two records of my graves that are awesome. Um, and, um, you know, Jerry and Doyle were in the band too. Yep. And uh, we did like a whole US run. We did uh, another Midwest South run. Um, and then we went right from that tour, like five weeks, right into Canadian, uh, Canadian Snow Jam tour oh, with yeah, yeah. Uh, Pennywise and uh, uh, Guttermouth Ignite. And Jughead's Revenge, Stealth, which is Daryl Jennifer from Bad Brains, yep. band that he was doing at the time. Yep, that was cool too. It was like with that tour between the two tours, we went from the middle of winter to the spring. It was like, all fuck. right, we're back. It's April. You yeah. know, <laughs> where's the year gone? Yeah, fuck. <clears throat> That's awesome. So, have you got a kind of like a song that reminds you of being on tour, or you know, in the tour van or whatever from? you know, that kind of the mid nineties part of your life? Yeah, I would probably, uh, I would probably, um, I know this is, this is a little bit off what you would expect, but um, back then it was just like, I would, I would probably say Deftones Shove It. Sorry, what was the song? Deftones Shove It. Okay, right. Because it just, it, it was just like, just go, you know, that's what we were doing. We just, yep. you know, kind of that, 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 they kind of, we kind of, well, Kevin Seconds took Deftones out on one of the first tours. Oh, really? We didn't know. Yeah, yeah. And so we played Dynamo uh, spring of 98, and they were they were headlining one of the days that we played. We played on the skate stage. They played on the main stage. And uh, our roadie, um, Mark Holloway, our, our stage manager, Mark Holloway, um, he did everything pretty much, roadie and stage manager and tour yep. manager. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yep. Jack of all trades. Yeah. Um, he, works, he works with Wiz Khalifa now, which is awesome. Wow. Uh, good friend of ours. We saw him in uh, December when we were on tour with Lagwagon face-to-face. He came out. He hadn't seen us play in like 10 or 15 years. But um, but he was into Deftones, and he got like, – he was like, yeah, you got to check this band out. Like, they're really heavy, but they're, they have like a little bit of Bad brain sprinkled in. And I was like, oh, okay. A little bit of Cure. I was like, yeah, I'll check it out. It's like, oh, shit. You know, and we ended up doing uh, – the Dynamo Fest that I mentioned, but we played uh, <clears throat> the whole Warp Tour we did with Deftones too, and yep. we would watch them on the side of the page every show, and they were like like us, like hardcore punk rock kids, and, but playing like heavy music. Yeah. And uh, and Toby interviewed him for his podcast recently, and Abe and I kept in touch, keep in touch a little bit. Now Sergio, recipe shy, but yeah. Sergio from Quick plays bass with him now, yep. and uh, 
and we just played with Quicksand last summer on at the Warp Tour uh, one-off show. Oh, the twenty-five year anniversary. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah cool. Fuck yeah, we'll drop yeah, that in. That song sort of reminds me of that whole yeah that whole time. I mean, I could, I could throw a couple of Third Eye Blind in there too that you would always hear on the radio or Californication by uh, Chili Pepper. Yep. 
scars stuff like that you would always hear See. on the radio but but yeah there's a couple i could think of from yeah that time. yeah fair enough <laughs> oasis, of course we all love oasis yeah oasis we still like sometimes toby and Rusty will play in the middle of our show sometimes they'll just start playing a couple of parts of h2o songs like boost Acoustically or acapella with just guitar. Yep. And sometimes I'll put in a wonder wall. <laughs> That's you know. awesome. That's unreal. See, so <laughs> I get like, you know, not to harp on controversy too much, but like if you copped some kind of shit for signing to Epitaph, the West Coast major, well, not, not that they were major, but like what people would have viewed as a big label, it would have been, yeah. it would have been all on when you signed to MCA. Like, oh, yeah. like yeah. you would have yeah. copped it left, right, and center. Yeah, so like after Thicker Than Water, we, we actually did a record with Mr. Brett, FTTW. Yep, yeah, yeah. Um, and that has a lot of a lot of our live favorites that we like to play on that yeah, too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we did that record January of 99 with Mr. Brett, and um, that was cool. Like it was like first time we had worked with uh, like a real producer. Yep. Like we, we did our first two records with Larry Boxbaum, rest in peace. Um, he did our first two records. He did Outcrowd stuff too, and uh, but he was more like, "These are the songs. Okay, cool. We'll play them through. We'll record them. Yeah, it was a good take. You know. Yep. Did you Mr. like Brett it? Like, Move on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we just wanted to try something different. Mr. Brett was great. He, he came in with some ideas and touched up a couple things and and um, added a chorus here or a, a, another line or verse here or there or. Um, we did that record January 99. Again, we toured for a whole nother year. Yeah. You know, a year probably from May of 99. The record came out in May. May of 99 to April of 2000, we toured on FTTW. And yep. then um, our, our contract was up with MCA at the time. And, oh, with um, Epitaph, you mean? I'm with Epitaph, yeah, yep. sorry. Um, our contract was up with Epitaph. And we knew our contract was up, and MCA knew our contract was up. Right. Okay. Because we kept in touch with Hans. So, spring of 2000, our last tour before we took like, a what are we going to do? Break. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's what you. Yeah. Mean. <laughs> um, Hans Hadel and Gary Ashley came to our show in Denver, Colorado. We took Saves the Day out on our first U.S. tour. Oh wow! Show Saves the Day. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> look um, at that! Look how that turned out. Through being cool tour, that was a through being cool tour. Yep. And that was that was like a good nine week. I think it was about fifty six shows. I can send you a screenshot of that too. When we're Please do. Fuck. The routing on that is insane, and there was some crazy stuff that happened on that tour too. Um, but uh, they came to the show. Um, Gary Ashley, rest in peace. I just found out he passed. Um, in October when we were down in Florida, Hans told us, but yep. uh, Hans and Gary Ashley came to the Denver show and that was when we started talking and, and, uh, and we were like, okay, we need to get a real lawyer for this. Yeah. <laughs> Cause some of this was above our head, like, yeah, you know, and that kind of went on back and forth. Started about May-ish, I think by july or august it was like okay we're gonna do this you know yep so were epitaph still kind of interested or they were happy to see you go to bigger better well not bigger better things but like greener pastures or whatever 
Yeah, you know, I don't remember at the time. Um, I just remember, I remember our contract was up. Um, we were, we probably would have stayed at Epitaph, but yeah. I think, I, I feel like we kind of were at a point too where like, okay, we did three records that were kind of in the same path, you know, yep. genre. Yep. And we would kind of mix it up a little bit, but have elements of old, older stuff too mixed in with, yep. you know, what we're trying to do. And um, I would say late summer of 2000, we started demoing and uh, MCA was like, okay, who would you want to produce the record? And we threw out a couple names. One wasn't, you know, maybe one wasn't available. I can't remember exactly, but I mentioned Matt Wallace who had worked on Faith and War Records. Yeah. It was one of my favorite bands. And uh, he did replacements. He did a bunch of stuff. Um, he did Deftones, some Deftones stuff too as well. Yeah. And he was like, he was available and he was down. And, um, and he flew out to New York October of 2000 to do pre-production. And we, that was the most pre-production we'd ever done. Like we stripped apart the songs. Yeah. Right. Um, flip songs around. Like it was cool. It was the first time we'd ever had time to do stuff like that because yep. we were always like, all right, let's record this. Let's yep. get back out on the road. Yeah. yeah hit touring it, again. Yeah. Yeah. If you, cause you're like not touring, month, you're yeah. probably not making money. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And we stripped apart songs. Um, this is October, 2000. By November, we were in the studio out in uh, California, Rumble Studios. Rumble Studios was owned by Captain Tennille. Yeah, right. From the 70s. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know them. Yep. Got love. Yep. Uh, you better stop around. And so um, we went to the studio and uh, it was like, okay, cool. So we started recording. And then all of a sudden we were like, wait a minute. Like, we kept seeing Axel Rose around the studio. We were in room B. <laughs> yeah. Where, like, the first Stone Simple Pilots was made. I think the first Guns N' Roses was made too. We were in room B. Axel Rose was over in room A and he was starting Chinese democracy. Chinese democracy, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the so we twelve year adventure. Yeah. But the the crazy thing was, and I love Appetite for the Sharks from Great Record. The crazy thing was it was just Axel at the time, but this is in two thousand. Chinese Democracy came out in 2008. Oh, it was so 2008, was, was it? Yeah, right. Yeah. He was working on for like eight years. It's, yeah. It's just it's kind of crazy. I know he had a couple of different lineups and a couple of different situations, but the crazy thing was, too, is like none of us talked to him the whole time he was there. Like he, he would be in the lobby room hanging out, and Toby and Adam and I were like nudging, like, you going to talk to him today? <laughs> you know, it was like none of us talked to him the whole time he was there. And we were there for about in and out. Like we did two weeks on, two weeks off, two weeks back on. But we were in and at studio for about a month. And none of us said a word to him the whole time. We were was there, which is... was he like, was he just a guy sitting in the corner playing pinball? Or was it like, were there, did he have a minder or security so no one could kind of approach him? Like, could you have approached him if you wanted to? If you had it in you to kind of go mm -hmm. up and say good day? Yeah, it's like, we probably could have. I mean, he had a guy with him, but it, yeah. it was like it wasn't like a security. I don't think it was security guy. I think it was just like maybe his personal assistant. Or something. Yeah. I don't know. But it, it was definitely odd. Even Tim Armstrong from Rancid came down to hang out with us one day, and he he was like, "Yeah, I think I might say something to him or 
check it out. I'll check it out. <laughs> and then he never said anything to him. It was just like the weirdest, the weirdest thing ever. Like it was like it was like a wall or something. Yeah. You know. But I, I hear he's a little different now. Actors maybe back then he was going through something or had yeah. a bad day, but. No, everybody has those, but yep. it was definitely odd. We were there for a month and nobody said the words. <laughs> and we would see them in the lobby like all the time, watching Monday Night Football or whatever, you know. That's and, unreal. You know, so the, that's <laughs> fucking great. So then, yeah, see, so MCA, was that, that wasn't Madonna's label. I, I, that was Maverick, wasn't it? That You, did, you, Maverick, you yeah. just did the Madonna cover. You, there was no other interaction yeah. with madonna like, well, i'm confusing something in there aren't i yeah yeah uh mca was uh blink 182 <clears throat> blink 182's label ah and, right um, you found <clears throat> let me grab a water you found yeah, glory and uh you found newfound glory was on mca <clears throat> and uh actually gary ashley uh was involved in those two bands as well uh, yep. with Blink-182 and Newfound Glory. Uh, MCA was like Tom Petty's first label, The Fix first label, uh, uh, Heavy D and the Boys. Yeah. Uh, I found out recently that had something to do with P. Diddy, I believe. Don't quote me on that. But uh, <laughs> they had like a, lot of, a lot of soundtracks too. Yeah. Uh, like Miami, Miami Vice soundtrack and and they were more, <clears throat> they were more like, uh, like, like different, a little different from Epic and Epic Label and yep. uh, Hologram or Arista. It was a little, it was a little more like they took more chances, I guess, with MCA than yeah. So other being being label mates with um, Blink and like a like I'm a unashamed Blink fan. I remember seeing like <clears throat> you know Blink would go from wearing. Billabong shirts and strung out shirts and all this, and then all of a sudden, like Tom DeLong starts wearing H two O merch and putting H two O stickers on his guitar. Like, did that have a yeah. did that have a noticeable noticeable impact? Like, with people we turning up to shows. Good. I mean, yeah, obviously it's amazing, but like, did that kind of yeah. open a lot? Like, did that kind of elevate or expand the crowd base even more? It's 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 quite possible. I didn't think about that. Um, I know I know when we were signed to MCA, Tom DeLong came to our show. We did a tour with Snapcase and Face to Face. I think we, we'd already we'd already completed the record. I think he wanted to hear a couple songs or something. Yep. And uh, I remember smoking a big doobie in the back of our bus <laughs> and picking uh, out the songs. But uh, you know, I didn't think about that aspect. Um, it's quite possible. I mean, we did we did a lot of warp tours around that time and you know, we didn't, we, we, we toured with hardcore bands and punk bands, but we also toured with melodic, more popular bands too. Yeah. Um, we found glory a lot. We, we, we did a tour with newfound glory. We've done two us tours with newfound glory and um, they have all kinds of different fans, not just hardcore fans, pop punk fans. Um, you know, we, we, we kind of, we never really had many ladies at our shows, which, that kind of changed when we started doing a lot of those tours. Yeah. And, um, you know, like a lot of our shows is just dudes, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, but it, but it, it opened up a whole door. I believe that. Uh, yeah, I believe that. It may have opened up a little bit of a door and that. Um, and it was just different times back then, too. I yeah. Mean, um, 
you know, um, I'm trying to think of another, like, just touring with different types of bands was, was opening up different crowds and different avenues. You know, yeah. Different, 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 different crowds come to our shows around that time. Yeah. Sure. So <clears throat> one thing that's always like, not interested me, but I've always kind of pondered after, um, mm-hmm. after go, it took, there was a mm-hmm. fair stretch between go and, um, yeah. Uh, nothing to prove. I mean, you did the covers yeah. album and that kind of thing as well around that same time, kind of time. And then at the end of it, yeah. you said as a joke, like if you leave us, someone said as a joke at the end of the record, if you leave us alone for seven years, we'll come back and, you know, we'll come back and we'll, we'll bring you more music. And like, <laughs> pro- probably it was a joke at the time, but yeah. like it pretty much, that's what happened. Like what, what is, what was it like, you know, use your voice come out in 2015. What, yeah. Yeah what slows down the musical process? Like, is it, you know, every, like you, yeah. it's not like you guys were doing mm. other things like music. Well, right. you know, other things on, on that kind of level, like what was it yeah. that kind of slowed yeah. everything down? If you don't mind me asking. Yeah. Um, so after go, we did a EP called all we want. Yep. Um, that was the last thing we did with epitaph before epitaph kind of, that was when the whole, you know, streaming thing was going on started around, yep. 2001, 2002, maybe even 2000, yep. maybe even the 90s. Um, so MCA kind of merged in with Geffen and then Geffen merged in with Universal. I found all this out recently too on Toby's podcast from Hans, our A&R guy. Yep. And I found out he played some stuff in October when we saw him down in Tampa. Um, so we did the All We Want EP uh summer of 2002 it came out at the end of 2002 going back to tom DeLong, we did the boxcar racer tour oh did you we, really we'd be using boxcar racer we did a full like six weeks i think it was yeah and that was great that album's then, fucking uh, flawless i think oh yeah yeah it's yeah. underrated i think it's actually underrated yeah i mean um then um that's the end of 2002 um so Early 2003, uh, Moon was pregnant with Max, and she had a baby, Max, she had Max, yep. uh, January 2003. Uh, so we took like a little break, as, as you spoke about, we took like a, a little break. We were still working on music, and we had about 10, 10 to 15 songs, but we didn't totally feel like they were kind of what we where we needed them to be or where we wanted them. Yep. So we demoed a whole bunch of songs. <clears throat> and then uh, later on that year, we, we, we were like, okay, you know, we were kind of like, took like a good six months off from touring or I think it was even longer than that. I think we did four shows in 2003. 2004, Toby did the Hazen Street. Was, oh, that's did right. Hazen Street. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And they did a whole year, I believe they did like a whole year of touring. Um, all of 2004, I think they're on tour. I got married around that time. Rusty got married. Um, Todd got married around that time. And it was like, okay, you know, we were still like looking to do things. You know, it was like, yeah. it, it wasn't like, you know, we wouldn't go. I mean, we still, we text at least one of us texts every day still even yep. more off to work. Yep, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, so that gets us 2005. And I feel like 2005 was kind of when we started doing stuff again. Okay. Um, 
we did a full a full Europe tour with Madball, and uh, we all we all had little projects that we do. We still do off tour, but back then it was like you know Rusty was doing jewelry. Um, you know Adam Adam was running a bar in New York City, but now he he trains full time, yeah. and uh, which is good for him, you know. But uh, in around 2005, we were like, okay, you know, let's think about maybe starting to do stuff again. We wrote two songs on that tour yep. with Madball. Eventually, those songs would be on Nothing to Prove, as well as the early 2003 demos that we did yep. in Los Angeles, the the early forms of some songs that would be on Nothing to Prove. Yep. Um, and 2006, we did like Pennywise tour. I'm, I'm sorry, go back to 2005. We did a full US tour with the Used later that summer with the Used and oh, the Used in 30 Seconds to Mars, Jared Leto's band. Wow, okay, right. <laughs> I almost forgot about that. Yeah. So, so we were starting to get busy in 2005. Like, yep. we did. June of 2005, I remember this because my nephew was born when I was over there. June 2005, we did Europe. August, we did a full like five or six weeks tour with uh, the used and and 30 Seconds to Mars. Um, that's a whole other thing. But <laughs> um, that tour was crazy because a bus driver fell asleep at the wheel and we almost crashed and who knows. Jeez. And basically, we fired a bus driver in the middle of the night. Rusty was like, you're not driving this bus anymore. Go back to your bunk, rest. Rusty, our guitar player. Yeah. Go back to your bunk, rest. And we're going to get you off of this tour. And Rusty ended up driving our bus for like four or five days. It was crazy. And then we played show. He would drive all night and play our shows on the tour. <laughs> Had he ever driven a bus before? Or he kind of just, like, because um, it doesn't seem he, easy. He, he drove tractor, um, like tractor trailers moving. He was in a moving company in Maryland where we all grew up. Yep, yeah, yeah. In yep. Maryland, he would he would drive those. So, I mean, I guess it comes back maybe because he would drive. He drove those for a while down in Maryland where we grew up. But uh, yeah, he would literally be like, "All right, time to play a show, coffee," you know, because <laughs> some of those drives were you know, our drives, you know, in the middle of the night. Um, but that that tour was that was an interesting tour, and that was 2005. I remember in the middle of the night in my bunk, just the whole bus shaking, and you could feel it like slanted off the road. And and apparently he was doing drugs or something like like wakey wakey drugs or something. I don't know exactly. Yeah. I don't remember exactly. But, um, yeah, Rusty was like, "You're not driving anymore. We're gonna, you know, you're you're we're gonna get you off this tour, basically." And that's what happened. But we ended up having a driver meet us like somewhere down south but this was in like uh somewhere in the southwest i believe maybe arizona or yeah. texas when, the, when this happened but um on the used uh the used uh, 30 seconds, 30 seconds of Mars. Mars, yeah 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 that was interesting that yeah. that whole that tour was crazy sick so you so you used a lot of i mean you re reworked a lot of demos and stuff you did for the um for the yeah. next album, um, but nothing. So, like, the songs that were reworked off Nothing to Prove, I would say was Unconditional was one of them. Yep. Uh, we we redid a version from the All We Want EP. Yeah. It's called Static on All We Want EP. It was called Myths. 
Yep, yeah. Find out to the crew that was kind of a little bit. Well, was it called um, Mitz? You, was it Mitz because of Mitz from? Uh, well, what band he playing? Um, Madball and Scarhead. Thank you. Yeah, I was gonna say Hatebreed, but yeah, Madball. Yeah, yeah. It was that. It was Mitz because yeah. of that. I always like my wife loves the All We Want version. I'm like, you're so. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah, she like she prefers that, and I'm like, you're so wrong. It's yeah. the Mitz versions that's better. Yeah. But yeah, so. It's a wee little point of contention. The way that came out in the All We Want version, because I, I, okay, this is 80s shit, but yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it, the way it came out to me reminds me of Big Country, only because I was diving into deep Big Country cuts. Okay. Like, they're more like a rock, they're more like a rock movie band. But, you know, everybody knows in a Big Country that song. But their other stuff has that kind of guitar that happens in the static All We Want version. But, yep. That was definitely one of the songs we worked. Um, uh, I'm forgetting a couple of them. Fairweather Friend. Yep. Was like uh, that was on that was 2003. We did demos for that 2003. Um, and I'm missing one other one. Um, there was about four, four, three or four songs that were reworked in that. Yep. 1995 was written in 2005 in Europe. Um, and then Adam Adam came in with nothing to prove later yep. on, like two thousand seven eight. Nothing to prove. Um, uh, still here. Yep. And red line, thin red line. And then uh, actually, and what happened was uh, demoed around two thousand five as well. Like um, we demoed that. And oh, and Sunday. Sunday was a 2003 demo that we were we reworked that song about three times, and we were like, even after two, we weren't happy with with it. And then finally, we we had Chad come in and produce uh, yep. from Newfoundland Glory. Yep, yep. Chad produced and approved, and we kind of we did like a full week of pre-production and went straight in to record them. It was, we were really happy with it. We, those were the ones that we would work. We reworked in the early to mid 2000s before we recorded it in uh, January of 1998. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. It's it's probably one like it's probably one of my favorite H2O albums. Like it's definitely the oh, it's the it's the one I go I'll go yeah. back to first just because it's it's Thank you. yeah it's just great. Like it's yeah I I think it's Thank fucking you. start from fantastic from start to finish. So yeah. Um, we worked really hard on that record. Thinking yeah. back on it, like we worked like our butts off to get to get that record to where we were happy with it. I, I I was trying to push for another song or two. Yep. But now thinking back on it, I think it's perfect. Like yep. you know, some records have a lot of like I love long records. Don't get me wrong, I love double records, but some records have too many songs. You know, in my opinion, yeah. like, and, and we didn't want any killers. We wanted all killer. You know? yeah, so. yeah. Okay. So then you, you, this is now on bridge nine. How does that kind of come about? Great. Um, summer 2007, we were like trying to figure out like we wanted to start working on a new record. Yep. And um, I, I believe that was kind of made through a, uh, Paul Delaney from Kill Your Idols a little bit. Yeah, right. Okay. Um, I think he knew Chris a little better than we did. We knew of him. Yep. But, um, and we kind of just kind of started with that. I could be wrong on that, but I remember going to meeting with Bridge and I with Paul Delaney, and I think he knew Chris a little bit. 
Um, he's in a band called Black Anvil. Black like Anvil, a, yeah, yeah, Black yeah. Anvil. yeah, yeah, yeah. I know them. Yeah, yeah, we had that. We had a dinner with him uh, the late summer of 2007, um, and then Adam and I were started rehearsals and Rusty and um, Todd, and then uh, we all went to we flew out January of 2008, recorded nothing crew. We had pre-production yep. for about a week, and then, uh, and then I did drums. I think it was two and a half days or something like that, or like it, I, I think I did. Most of the tracks in the first day, and then yep. the second day, um, like two songs or something. And then um, uh, it was a little different process when we did Use Your Voice and the, yep. the cover record. But um, but we kind of just okay, did two three versions of each song. Yep. Um, picked the best one and kind of went with that. We were happy with it. Yep. So the MCA thing was like, was it a one and done? Like try, try to test the waters with it or? Did they like? Yeah. Did you kind of mutually part ways? So yeah, back back with MCA, it was like um, when we did when we did go, and then we did the All We Want EP. By the end of two thousand two, they were having a lot of problems at MCA, from what I found out recently in October. Yep. Where um, that was that was basically when streaming legal streaming started happening. Yep. And MCA was having some financial problems, from what I heard. And they kind of merged in with Geffen. Yep. And uh, and, and then Geffen we were kind of yeah. They I think they Newfound Glory and Blink. And I think that was it. Right. They okay. kind of trimmed down. And it was like a matter of just. And what I found out recently on Toby's podcast and from Hans in the fall was that everybody went down. It was like, it was like take a pay cut or you're gone. You know, not gone, but yeah. You know, I mean, everybody. From you know radio people to you know promotions to A&R people, yeah, and I went under and into Geffen, and um, and then Geffen eventually became Universal, which it is now. But yeah, it was just like a big vacuum from what he was describing to me, um, and we were kind of like you know, we kind of like like I mentioned earlier, like we all were. I, I wouldn't say we were fried. We kind of were fried, like thinking yeah. back on it. For like eight years, we were like, you know, we could use like a mental little reset a little yeah. bit, which we did. Yeah, yeah. We needed. And Max was, you know, Toby had a son, and and we all had kind of gotten married around the same time or around the same year, and um, and it was it was kind of like a reset. Toby went and did the Hazel Street with with Freddie and and uh, Freddie Mackey, um. Dave Kennedy and Hoya. Yep. And uh, some shows, I believe, Mitz played guitar, and some shows, Todd played guitar. And okay. I don't remember exactly what it was. It was something with Chad. With Chad couldn't technically be promoted or something. I remember it was like a different. That's yeah. Label. That sounds really familiar. Yeah. 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 There you go. But uh, around 2005, like I said, we started kind of at it again, gradually getting back into it. And then, uh, which kind of leads to, you know, when Nothing Approved came out, we pretty much did like a full year of touring on that. Like we were out, we went to Europe like three times, summer of 2008. We were there basically the whole summer. Um, and I want to say we were over there till probably the end of summer of 2009. Like we did like a full year cycle in that record. And um, 
I had the tour date somewhere, but I believe it was about a full year of touring. And then um, and that kind of leads to where the cover record, we started with 20. The 20 songs were good. Like we covered everything. We got home, or no, we did Soundwave. And then I had a day off in Australia, a layover. I believe that tour is not happening anymore, right? The guy, Soundwave's done, right? Yeah, yeah. He, yeah, he, um, yeah, just, <laughs> you know, it was the last, the last few years of Soundwave were, were, you know, taking from Peter to pay Paul kind of thing. Like, and it was just, it was, yeah, it was, it got, it, it got ugly. Like a lot of, a lot of shit got, and, and what didn't help was, um, you know, with these, with those kind of bigger things, like it's good to have mystery. It's good to have like, you know, you, you, like if you're running it, you shouldn't be answering to literally everybody, but the guy who runs it is, I don't know if it's narcissistic or whatever it is, but like he, he will, if you tweet at him, not that I use Twitter, but like if you tweet at him and say, Hey, like you should put this random band on, he'll be like, yeah, okay, well that sounds interesting. Or if you go in in on him and say, this sucks, he'll argue with you. And it's like, you got better things to concentrate on, mate. Oh no, you can't fight and win every battle. No, yeah, that's I right. Understand. And like, um, it, it got to a point where I think they got Metallica. And right. like that was fucking huge, but the bills had to be paid, and I think it was over under budgeted, or you know, it just didn't, it didn't work yeah. well. So like, then the next year they did it, um, so it would have been, I think it would have been about two thousand twelve ish. Like, so they did it well when you were Metallica, and it yeah. didn't go as well as what they needed to because obviously Metallica are not cheap, and the Australian right. dollars, the Australian dollars, not great. So if they want, let's call it a million dollars a show. They want, they probably want that in US dollars. So, like, all right. of a sudden, you're paying like $1.6 million Australian a show. So, then the next year, it was like touch and go, touch and go, and only half the bands made it out. And it was a bit of a shit fight. Yeah. And it just never kind of, it, there was just too many. Outside. I think I heard something about that or something, but I didn't know yeah, the whole. It like, got ugly. Sorry. But that was the, yeah, the year you guys we came out, you did the, um, one of my all time favorite shows, you guys did. I, th- I think they called it flood wave because it was a fun. So Brisbane had these huge floods and the Brisbane river flooded and a lot of people got displaced and, you know, homes completely destroyed and that kind of thing. And it was, you it was meant to be you guys, terror. No, fuck. No, not fucked up. Trash talk and the Bronx, but terror, right, right, but right. terror missed it. The story was terror missed their flights or something. And, they kind of turned oh, up right, wow. but like it was one of the greatest shows I've ever been to. Like, yeah, thank yeah. you. I remember, like, I, I remember Iron Maiden was headlining it too. And, uh, oh, right, were they? Okay. They were like the headliner on the sound wave. Yeah. yeah. Was, it was, uh, Maiden and Slayer and Flash's Snake Pit Band. Yeah. Prime. I'm forgetting one. I'm forgetting. Oh, uh, Back to La Rocha's side project. It wasn't oh, great. It was like, one day, uh, one day is a lion. Yeah, yeah, yep. yep, yep. And uh that was twenty uh February twenty eleven. Yep. But uh going back to the cover record, we had a day off and we we're like, Man, we forgot a seven second song. Yeah, right. We forgot to embrace we forgot social D. So I had a layover and we scheduled we scheduled a day for me to record three songs, the seven second song, 
uh, Sariraha, Sick Boy by Social D, yeah. and Embrace uh, Sigmund. And, uh, so on the day off, I'm like, I flew back and like, I was like, okay, uh, what time you guys want to meet? And I didn't get a response. I went and recorded three song solo by myself. Wow. With the guy who engineered nothing to prove. Yep. And uh, it was just me, him, and a click, and went away, and we were did them pretty quickly. And then they went in and added guitars and, and um, guitars and bass and vocals later. Yep. So I get home, I get home from there. I fly back to New York after flying into LA after Soundwave on the way. Ooh, I fly back to New York. About a week later, we're like, man, this is going to take a little while. Yeah. So I did the same thing. I recorded them just by myself. Yep. At my studio, at my studio that I have now uh, over here in Jersey City. But um, and finally, we were like, okay, we got everything. Like, yeah. Twenty some songs, and even some that wouldn't even put on the CD, we we put them out on seven inches. Because you you did the regional seven inches. The DC, was it DC, New York, LA? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Some the songs that wouldn't fit on the that we didn't put on the CD or on some of those. Yeah, separate. that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, like, then, so, again, like, so there was a big gap between, I mean, not as big, but, like, there was a there was a considerable four-year or so gap between the, the covers records and then Use Your Voice. Like, were you very active or, like, was it just a lot of writing time or kind of you're you in different spaces or... Because I, I'm guessing around that time a lot of people lived, a lot of the band lived on the West Coast now. Right, right. Yeah. Um, around that, around, we were pretty busy in those four years, three years in between. Um, yeah. we did a terror us tour, a full tour, Eastern terror tour. We did outline trio tour with Newfound glory. We did a bunch of Europe stuff. Um, we went to Brazil, uh, Brazil. We did, uh, I think we did a South America tour in there, full South America tour yep. as well in there. Um, we did, we did uh, did a bunch of U.S. stuff, like 2012, 2013. And at the end of the Territory, um, I believe it was uh, March of 2013, Adam and I started demoing some songs. Yeah, cool. And we had about six songs. And um, at the same studio, we did the, uh, I did the cover songs. That, and um, eventually those will be on Using Voice as well. Um, those were a little more similar to the comparative to the demos that we did for FTT uh, for user uh, nothing approved sorry, yep. um, and um, but yeah we started demoing about two years before we recorded user voice just to run around ideas and yeah cool and we did another demo about a year later like Black Sheep and and um, like two or three other songs but. But we had a good like twelve, thirteen songs. I think we put a limit on Usual Voice, I believe. Yep. Um, but it started about two years before we recorded Usual Voice. First of all, thank you very much. It's been it's been nearly a year of me kind of it's 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 an unfortunate thing that the COVID virus. It's, it was obviously unfortunate that COVID kind of happened, but from a selfish yeah, yeah, perspective, yeah. like I get to chat to all these people who have kind of been yeah. too busy otherwise. I like, completely understandably. So I really appreciate you kind of spending the time to have a chat and like, um, you know, for for refer- like for anyone listening at home, when me and some friends went over to Punk Rock Bowling just to kind of put some context to this conversation, the day we landed, um, 
in LA, we'd been up for thirty something hours because I don't sleep on planes. We, you know, we checked into the Airbnb and we drove around and we kind of saw some stuff and got. And then I was like, well, let's go to Swingers for dinner. It's a nice way to kick off our holiday. And sitting yep. literally on the booth, you were sitting on the booth behind us. And I was like, yeah. maybe I'm fried because I've been up for thirty something hours. But I think that's Todd from H two O and. You were one of the reasons. You're one of the three bands that we were going that I was going to see at Punk Rock Bowling, and it was fucking fantastic. Like, it all kind of synced up, and I was like, "This is the greatest." So, thank you very much for chatting. Um, we played two shows that day too. I was at both of them. Yep, the pool show. Yep. Yeah, I was wow. worried I wasn't going to get into the pool show because I didn't, I didn't know what to expect. But we got there. I think did Sharp Shot play or a, no? I can't remember who played before you, but um. They yeah. did play, did they? Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so yeah. I must. I got there as they were playing, um, and then it was the wildest experience. And then, you know, then you go to the festival, and I guess you guys would have just chilled and slept and did whatever, but I went to the festival yeah. and saw, <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was Refused and Descendants played that day. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, then went yeah. from there to watch you guys play, and it was... <laughs> Fuck, it was the longest day, but it was just like tick, 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 all these great bands, yeah. yeah. So. I heard they just uh, I heard they just postponed this year until 2021. 2021. Yeah, they've started to re-announce bands for next year. I think they're kind of trying to replicate the same lineup this year as they did for next year. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So where does that put you now? Like, what are you up to? Um where are you musically? Like, what are you listening to? Are you revisiting old stuff? Are you finding new stuff? Yeah, um, I've been listening to um, this. Uh, you probably heard of. Um, I was checking out this band called Future Islands. Uh, they've been around for a little bit. They're very like new wave, poppy sort of. Okay. Uh, very ambient. Um, they kind of they have kind of a couple of hits over here in the states. Um, Wisdom and Chains is always. I was just listening to them not too long ago. Yep. Um, on my iTunes here, um, we toured with them in January. Good friends of ours. I finally got one of those CDs in January at the end of Persistence tour in Europe. Yep. Like I had like singles and one-off song, you know, one-off songs. But I finally got a full record of theirs. Um, they're good friends of ours. Yep. And just listening to music. I'm listening to music a lot more, you know, now being that. I'm trying not to watch news, if you know what I mean. Yeah, it's probably everything. So I'm I'm dabbling into more like Netflix stuff and yep. like everybody else, pretty much. Like that. But uh, but yeah, just trying to stay busy. You know, there's not much practice. I practice in my apartment a little bit on my pads, and but there's not really much. You know, I don't know when they're gonna have shows over here. Who knows? Yeah. You know? Maybe late summer. We're hoping. Yeah. But um. Still, a lot of stuff need to kind of trickle downward with cases and stuff like that over here. But, um, but yeah, just trying to stay busy like everybody else and kind of stay informed, but not informed where you start getting crazy. Yeah, not not overly yeah, not overly saturated with the with news and whatnot. Yeah, exactly. exactly. So, have you got a song that kind of that sums up Top Friend in twenty twenty? Where you're at musically? <laughs> uh, good or bad, I guess. Um, 
I guess the end of the world as we know it by REM, but everybody's kind of saying that now. Look, mate, that sums it. That's pretty. That's pretty good. That's like that's. You can't get much more relevant than that. Yeah, like I, 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 I had classic MCV on the other day, and I was like, I was like, wow, I never heard this Huey Lewis song. It's called Perfect World. And it's kind of like about what's going on now, you know, which is kind of crazy. The song's about thirty years old, you know, but uh, but just I'm listening to a lot of different stuff that I normally probably wouldn't listen to, um, you know, with the current state of what's going on. And, uh, but yeah, we definitely probably say the REM song in the world as we know it.
Alrighty, thank you very much for checking it out. Um, always appreciated. And we will see you in a few weeks. Stay safe. With fingers crossed, everybody knows the war is over. Everybody knows the good guys lost. Everybody knows the fight was fixed. The poor stay poor, the rich get rich. That's how it goes. Everybody knows Everybody knows that the boat is leaking Everybody knows the captain lied Everybody got this broken feeling Like their father or their dog just died Everybody talking to their pockets Everybody wants Chocolates and the long stem rose. Everybody knows. Everybody knows that you love me, baby. Everybody knows that you really do. Everybody knows that you've been faithful. But there were so many people you just had to meet without your clothes And everybody knows Everybody knows Everybody knows That's how it Calvary, 
Everybody knows it's coming upon. Take one last look at this sacred heart before it blows. And everybody knows. Everybody knows. Everybody knows. That's how it goes. Yeah, man.